Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seconds of the game, St. George, Illawarra to the death, trying. Brown goes to the air. Going back is Mabel. Oh. Sleeping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible try that ties this small game up. Bartram from 18 metres out. He strikes it nicely. St. George, Illawarra win for the first time in their premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock. Down the sideline, chipping over the top of John Kane. Got a red surface bounce to win the game for the Dragons and book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jump. Well, it's another Tuesday, folks, and it's another episode of the Red V Podcast. Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward behind the mark this evening to continue to keep you updated into this off-season about the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. On tomorrow's podcast, we continue our position review. We're going to look at the halfback and hooker roles for the Dragons. Obviously, the number seven role dominated by Ben Hunt, and very, very shortly, we might find out if he does win that Dally M Player of the Year with the awards nights happening in about 24 hours or so from a recording time here on Tuesday evening. Alongside all of this, we'll answer your fans' corner questions and also dissect the latest Dragons news and updates. Still plenty of news around. We'll talk about Tyrell Sloan. We spoke about him wanting to potentially get out of his contract. Well, the Dragons have come out in recent days and have, have uh, blocked that. They're not going to give him a release. We'll also talk uh, about some of the other things happening uh, around the club, including a couple of Dragons selected in the Samoan 24-man squad uh, for the forthcoming World Cup at the end of the year. Tell me, dissect all of this and talk about the Mighty Dragons' 
over the next 45 minutes to an hour is Curtis Woodward. And Curtis, a very good evening to you, mate. Thanks again for jumping on the podcast and uh, giving us your expert thoughts on uh, on the Dragons. But I guess a lot of focus um, for, for Dragons fans, and I guess all of NRL fans, is this Sunday we finally know who's going to play in the decider. Penrith against Parramatta. I know the Dragons fans would absolutely uh, give their right arm and right leg for the Dragons to be in the decider in either the first grade or the NRLW competition. Unfortunately, that hasn't paved out that way, but uh, we will get to see a, a cracking contest between two local rivals. And I think we were just discussing off air what it would be like in the St. George and Southern Shire region across Sydney if the Dragons and the Sharkies got to play in a decider one day. Well, we can dream, but for the moment, Penrith and Para, the two sides in the decider on Sunday night. Yeah, evening, Jack. Good to be back on the show. Uh, yeah, look, absolutely. It's great when we get, you know, and, and I don't want to be too Sydney-centric here, but it doesn't, I think it doesn't happen very much in rugby league where we, we always get the fairy tale, fairy tale kind of uh, local derby kind of match. We've seen in the modern era, uh, you know, it took a long time to see a Sydney derby. There was a run there where it went built like for years where we didn't mm. get Sydney on Sydney. Um, uh, maybe it was Dragons Roosters, like I think you said before. Mm. Um, well, um, uh, look, sometimes it happens, and, and, and I think this is going to be a really good game of football. Very, very high intensity. And it's, it's, I guess it's a, one of those games where if you're a neutral, and maybe you can touch on this too, Jack, but mm. Penrith, for some reason, and we've got tall, tall poppy syndrome in Australia, so for, we, sometimes we look at Penrith and say they're too cocky or, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And then you look at Parramatta and they haven't won anything. But this squad of players, sometimes it's been hard to like some of these players individually just for some of their characteristics uh, on field and that kind of thing. Uh, I won't name names, but uh, yeah, it's one of those two things, like the lesser of two evils, and but, but two mighty teams. And, and it's going to be a grudge match out there on Sunday night. So I can't wait. It, it's a legitimate sellout and it's going to be madness out there on Sunday. I, uh, I've been out. Four grand final out there just with the punters um, a couple mm. of times the last few years. The 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 two that stick out for me was the Sharks grand final in 2016 um, and actually getting to sit with the Sharks fans and drink with them all afternoon and then go in and actually sit with them all and sing up up Cronulla. And I, I don't want to talk about that too much here, but um, that was that was an amazing <laughs> yeah, experience. Yeah, you get crucified if you keep saying that. Yeah, Kurt. no, no, no. But I'm just saying as a neutral, it was, it was amazing to be in that you know, behind the Northern Post when they won the game. And then a couple of years later, we, uh, we did the same thing and, and partied with the Canberra punters and, and it's 30 degrees during the day and they're all at the back of Homebush drinking out of milk cartons and <laughs> there's Raiders jerseys everywhere. It's just really, really good fun. So um, obviously this week, Parramatta fans have been going mad down there at Church Street and the uh, surrounding areas and then into the weekend. And again, of, of course, their, their, their bitter rivals, Penrith, who will start and fair enough too, the um the, the hot favourite. So it should be a great game of footy, good spectacle, and I'm expecting massive TV ratings and a big win for rugby league on Sunday night. Yeah, it should be a cracker. Always a lovely time of the year, especially uh, here in, in New South Wales with the public holiday the, uh, the the next day after the grand final. So you can party a little bit harder than you normally would on, on a Sunday night, but it is uh, is great. And as Curtis uh, mentioned, I'll echo his sentiments. Uh, great to have two Sydney sides uh, in the uh, in the, the, the decider as well. And uh, we'll kind of talking a little bit off air, myself and Kurt, and kind of, yeah, not that I'm a, a Parramatta fan per se, but I think it is good to see a side that hasn't been there for some time, 13 years between drinks that the last time Parramatta was in a grand 
final. And obviously haven't won one since 1986. And Dragons fans know all about that because uh, until our last triumph in 2010, it had been uh, 31 years between drinks and uh, and Parramatta are, are kind of uh, over that uh, that mark now with it being 36 years now uh, since they've last won the grand final. So both of, uh, best of luck to both sides. It should be a, a, nice, uh, a nice quality game between two quality sides. And uh, as a neutral, looking forward to, to seeing those two sides pummel each other. Uh, but hopefully we see uh, some classy football as well. As we focus on Dragons-centric news, there is lots of happening around the club with both our young players and experienced players. We're going to dissect that now here on our Dragons news and updates section. It's the first podcast in some time we haven't had to review a team list with the Dragons NRLW side beaten on the weekend by Newcastle. That ended their season in the grand final qualifier. But instead, I guess we will kind of assess the Samoan 24-man squad for the World Cup that was announced earlier today with two Dragons featured in that squad. Uh, outside back, Matt Fierney, he had a wonderful campaign. And also Jaden Sewer, the new signing that had been signed from South at the end of 2021. He had a very good campaign for the Dragons, albeit injured uh, for, for six or eight weeks of, of that period and, and also um, uh, having uh, an injury that, uh, that uh, and, and suspensions that, that did kind of curtail part of uh, his season. Uh, but uh, Matt Finney and Jaden Sewell both selected in the Samoan 24-man squad. And Kurt, when I look through that Samoan side, it's, it is seriously stacked full of just quality players um, from, well, I guess you could say, one through to 24. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of, of quality uh, quality players in uh, in that side. Um, I, I won't go... Won't, I won't go through them because, uh, yeah, we probably don't have the time to, to dissect the 24-man squad. But when you, you, you look at a couple of dragons in that side and a strong a strong side that has the likes of Jerome Luai and Brighton Thor, it is positive for, for the Red V and, and, and positive to see a couple of dragons players running around at the end of the year. Yeah, apparently um, eight players playing in this weekend's NRL Grand Final will suit up for Samoa at the World Cup. So they are a very, very strong-looking team for this World Cup. They have been very disappointing over the years at international level, and they've kind of been the afterthought where Tonga has been the, the story and they've, you know, reached incredible, um, you know, incredible heights, particularly in 2017 at the World Cup over there in New Zealand where um, I think that the king of Tonga was over and, and mm. they were, they're just superstars over there. But, um, I'd, you know, I, I'd like to see Samoa come good. They're the real dark horses for me. Everyone's talking about uh, Tonga. New Zealand, Australia, maybe England. I, I worry about England, um, but mm. then Samoa, who's you know, uh, you know, sis, you know, when you put behind those four teams, they have got the plays. If they can just they get it right, that's the thing. If they can just get it right, and the best part is what the, the the one thing they haven't had. When I talk about being disappointing in the last decade or whatever you want to call it, they've now got connections that all play together in some way or know each other's games very well in the NRL. So. Um, scary prospect. I, I don't know if the English know what's about to hit them over there and, and their fans. Yeah. I, I think they're, you know, the English way, they're, they're kind of, they bet each way on their team, but um, yeah, I, I think they're in trouble. But for Fina particularly, I, I, I think he's going to play, um, you know, I think he's going to play some football, particularly in the opening couple of matches. But the best part is, is when he comes back to the Dragons, you know, he's going to have, he's going to be hanging around uh, Toro and, and Luai and the likes like that. Stephen Crichton, you know, stars of the game that mm. um, are coming out of the best rugby league system at, cl- at club level anywhere on the planet. So it can only mean a, a good things. That's why I shake my head at people like Josh Hooster at Manly. I think I said it last week, yeah. or maybe the week prior. I mean, he's staying home to get fit and concentrate on, on Manly. I mean, seriously, 
go to the World Cup, you know, get some tips of some other people that are outside your club and, and, you know, you don't have to share them with your teammates when you get back, but they're always logged in your memory. Mm. So, um, so you can tell me more about Jaden Stewart's season, but um, I, I can't remember much from, I think you just touched on injuries he may have had this year, but um, yeah, at, for Fine, this could be a really exciting World Cup and he could uh, shock a few people with what he does on the world stage. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think it's probably hard for Jaden as well when you're playing in a in a side where the, the Fords have been dominated for most of the season. Probably hard for him to to get quality ball and, and really impose himself on, on an edge and did have those injuries and suspensions that, that probably made it difficult. But I think he's definitely a key player. He's played for Queensland. He's uh, played at the highest uh, highest level in the NRL. So I think he's going to be a quality player. But just, just looking over this squad, it is just a brimful of talent. As um, Kurt mentioned, you've got Stephen Crichton, obviously Matt Fierney, but uh, some some real big boys, even guys like Brandon Hamunuelli and Royce Hunt that had good seasons for the Sharkies. Luciana Leilura, former Dragon, a former St. George Jr. with Hurstville United. Spencer Lenu, who the Dragons have kind of been linked with over over the last kind of couple of weeks or so. And then Jerome Luai, the May brothers, Anthony Milford, Josh Papali'i, Junior Paulo, Joseph Sawali, Hamisa, Hamaso Tabuai Fado, Isaac Tungo, Martin Tapao, Brian To'o, Kelma Torlangi. There's just a lot of really good quality players in both the forward pack and, and in the outside back. So I think they'll uh, cause a few headaches for a few sides. And don't be surprised if Samoa's done a lot of sides and end up making it in, into the final of the World Cup. There's not no pressure really on them. No one's expecting a lot, as kind of Kurt alluded to, the fact that they haven't had a lot of success on the international stage. But it is going to be a great stepping stone, you feel, for someone like a Matt Fierney um, out there in, in the UK for the Samoan side. Uh, moving on, talking about our young players, Toral Sloan, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we mentioned a lot last week on the podcast that he'd asked for a lease for his contract and we tried to assess whether that was the right move for him and why it might have happened. Well, the Dragons have tried to stamp that out quick, smart, Kurt, by um, refusing to release him from his contract, which is no real surprise. I think that's what you expect from a club initially. I know that's what happened with Jason Saab with the Dragons and by no means am I uh, trying to link the two, Tyrell Sloan, and Jason Saab, uh, but uh, yeah, Saab did have to ask for a release from his contract on a few occasions before he eventually uh, was allowed to leave, and I think that was only once the Dragons got some compensation from Manly. We're able to get a little bit of depth in that outside, outside back wing uh, position. Uh, Tyrell Sloan, uh, uh, you, you know how I think, uh, how I feel about him, Kurt, and, and and obviously there's there's other people at the club and other fans that, that have high um, opinions and high values of, of Tyrell Sloan. Where does this kind of leave him, you feel, heading into to the offseason? Is it a bad look when you see a young player asking for release so early into his career, only 13 first-grade games next to his name? Is it something something that Toro might potentially regret over the next year or so? Oh, look, I think I touched on this last week. I think this is more Redcliffe Dolphins and the his player manager may be fishing to see what's out there more than anything else. On the flip side of it, if you want to be positive from Sloan's perspective, I mean, that's great. The club's come and said, no, he's part of the team. Mm. I said that last week. The club needs to be strong on this um, and, and get some future planning in there and, and say, look, you are part of this team. We don't know how it's all going to work out, but we need you. Um, you know, imagine getting rid of him and then having to fill the spot if mm. there's a few injuries or whatever it is. So, um, look, yes, we've already touched on it, but very happy the club has has been very strong on it because, I mean, we saw, like you said, he uh, at least the Dragons got some compensation, but I think at the time the excuse that came out from his management, 
He wanted to be closer to home, which was Blacktown apparently, but then he had to travel to Manly every day. So, <laughs> Didn't make sense, yeah. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, no, good on the club, and, and I think this can be a positive um, in the fact that, yep, Sloan hasn't played enough first grade. Here's the, the challenges in front of him, and this is where you could possibly be in two years if you want to you know, get your head down and play football. So I think it's a good thing all around. And I guess when we're looking at that Dragons squad, unless some signings are made, there isn't an awful lot of depth in that fullback position. I know that's probably not a position that, that a lot of clubs have heaps of depth in, but I guess when you look at someone, uh, someone, a team like the Penrith Panthers, and I know that Charlie Staines is coming off contract at the end of the year, but they've got some options at the back in terms of Dylan Edwards goes down, Stephen Crichton, who plays in the centres, can play fullback. Charlie Staines can also play fullback. For the Dragons, if, if something, as we mentioned last week on the podcast, if something happens to Cody Ramsey, then there's no real options there. Matt Fiernay is probably more a centre than he is a winger. He's not going to go to fullback. Uh, Mika Ravalawa or uh, Tatao Moga or Max Fiernay are not going to be able to play in that number one role. I guess at a, at a stretch, you could probably push maybe a Zach Lomax back there. I know Jack Bird has played there, but I don't think you really want to be shuffling Jack Bird around considering how much time he spent playing in other positions. So I, I think it is is a good thing, or obviously a, a great thing that the Dragons have, have turned down this release and, and Tyrell Sloan has only ever one injury away or one uh, or two poor games away from from getting a spot in that starting 17. The fact that he was kind of eased back into uh, things in the last few weeks of the season, playing on the wing, uh, could be good signs uh, for him heading into 2023. Tomorrow night is the Dally M Awards, where we'll finally get to see if this miraculous, incredible season by Ben Hunt can be capped off by him collecting the Dally M Medal Player of the Year, who become the first Dragon player since 2000 to win the award, when, kind of ironically enough, Trent Barrett won uh, the uh, the the award in uh, in the year 2000 where the Dragons actually finished at ninth. This year they finished 10th so uh, there hasn't been too many players that have won the award when their side has finished outside of the finals reckoning but there's certainly a warm, warm chance that uh, Ben Hunt could could win that award. He was uh, ahead by two votes when the voting went behind closed door on nine, uh, behind closed doors, pardon me, on 19 points. There's obviously some great players um, uh, kind of nipping at his heels. Nico Hines um, his crosstown rival from the Cronulla Sharks probably one of those, uh, one of those main players. Uh, I'd be interested to see which way the voting goes because there's certainly uh, been, I, I guess, some critics of the the voting uh, for for some of the Dally M um, uh, points in in some of the uh, in some of the matches in recent years. But I know you've got a few points on 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 how you think it, it might go, or at least some opinions on the season of Ben Hunt, which we'll certainly get into a little bit later on the podcast in our halfback review, Kurt. Yeah, look, uh, and again, I'm just going to go back to uh, cheap plug for the 81st minute.com, but mm. it, just for the simple fact that statistically since 2012 when uh, when we, we started our award and we always announce ours the day or the the day after the, the final round of the season. So, um, you know, there was a point there a few years ago we had professional punters inboxing and messaging me asking, you know, well, any inside tips? You know, because our, our winner generally goes on to win the, the Daily M. Um, this year, it's it's so close that, that I'm not I'm not confident in any way. Um, so Nico yeah. Hines ended up winning our award on 32, to Ben Hunt 31, then Tedesco 29. So, but that that seesaw. So I can say that like we went behind closed doors a little bit later, just basically in the sense that once it gets too close for us to keep promoting it, then we go right. I mean, let's not make it too obvious who wins. Give ourselves a chance. Um, and then for the final couple of rounds of the season, I think Ben Hunt took the lead back twice in the final five rounds, and then Hines got it back, I think, in the final round. So uh, 
it, mate, it's, it's a flip of the coin, but then it's a, I'd say it's a flip of the coin between Hines and Hunt, but then James Tedesco is a little smoky as well. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would not be surprised if Ben Hunt wins, but it, it will be, the I think, the tightest race for some time. Um, and, and Ben Hunt, I mean, what a season. I mean, seriously, an incredible season. And then to think, too, for, for a guy outside the eight, then you look at a Nico Hines, who had some stars around him that could have nicked points off him. Mm. Um, he had a great season too. And then Tedesco, even though the, the team made the finals, um, Tedesco just seems no matter what, there's just a love affair um, with voters. Doesn't matter what the competition is. Um, Tedesco seems to just always go go deep. And then Mitchell Moses finished fourth on 25. And then Dylan Edwards all the way back on 21. So, I think for me, it's the top three. But, uh, look, I would not be surprised at all. Absolutely, Ben Hunt wins the Daily M medal tomorrow night. Well-deserved. There was just one vote in the end. I mean, so and, and that's just a, a silly, you know, silly um, competition on the 81stminute.com. But uh, Daily M, I, I'm sure he's very short in, in the betting. Um, mm. maybe, maybe he's trying to make a little bit more money for his mates and saying, no, 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 I'm definitely not going to win. It's going to be Nico. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's um, it. It is going to be close. It's going to get into the wire. I know there's going to be plenty of Dragons fans glued to the screen on KS Sports or Fox tomorrow night, uh, seven thirty, I believe. The coverage uh, starts uh, to uh, to hear all the latest there, and who knows, we might see a couple of other surprises with some of the uh, the awards being given out that night as well. But uh, Ben Hunter, tremendous season, which we'll go into uh, in far greater depth in our halfback and hooker review position position review uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. There is one award that a Dragons low grade player has already collected and that is Jack Kozewski. He was named in the New South Wales Cup Team of the Year for 2022. He was a, a fine performer down in the second tier New South Wales Cup competition, which is no surprise uh, for a guy that played a fair chunk of first grade at Manly and had little bits of, uh, of moments in first grade for the Dragons throughout the 2022 season. I think he was probably one of those players that brought across that, uh, yeah, uh, thought he might have played a bit more first grade than he did, uh, but was really a, a major depth signing for the Dragons' first grade side, but showed that he's probably one of those players Kurt, and we've seen it because you and I have, have both together and in separate places have, have done our fair share of commentary for, for the second tier New South Wales Cup competition. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as someone um, killing it in New South Wales Cup and then all of a sudden being a gun uh, going up to first grade. Sometimes there's players that, that are simply just too good or a little bit too good for that that second tier competition, but maybe not quite good enough to, to really excel in a, in a starting position or even a bench spot in 2022. And I say this with all all due respect to Jack Gazevsky. I think he can be a solid player on the bench for the Dragons. Probably a few defensive deficiencies at times have, have, have let him down, but he certainly had a tremendous New South Wales Cup campaign and maybe one of those players that is a little bit too good for, for New South Wales Cup, but may, maybe just missing a few little tools to to kind of make it to be a, a regular first grader for, for the Dragons moving forward. Yeah, great minds think alike. I was just about to touch on that before you mentioned it, and and I remember sitting at Leichhardt Oval one day, and Luke Garner did, did the same things when he was like playing wing and sensors coming to New South Wales mm. Cup, where they would just get bored and just start buckling guys and just smashing them. And it's like, wow, this guy's not a reserve grader. But then you're right. They, they go up and, and, you know, for different reasons, they can't quite get it right. I mean, there's a few guys I can remember from back in, you know, when I was a, a, a you know, a kid. Mm. I think his name was Luke Milton. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fullback, and he was just a killer in reserve grade. Um, Chad Halliday was another one. Mm. They were both Roosters boys that may have spent some time with the Dragons as well. I, I can't remember, but if someone wants to um, correct me there. But, yeah, there's a whole list of them that, that just – look amazing in reserve grade, but just can't get it right in first grade. So 
Um, is he is he contracted again next year? I assume he is. Um, I don't think he is. I'll, I'll have to double check on that. People are probably listening, saying, "Oh, Jack, he is he is contracted. He is he is contracted." But um, at at the moment, I, I can't I can't say. No, um, okay. Yeah, uh, either or for for, for the dragons, but twenty eight yeah. years so of age, so still play, says, you're right. Yeah. 28 years of age and still has still has some time time kind of left um le- left in his career so yeah I, I guess we'll just kind of have to have to um have to have to wait and see yeah so according to zero tackle yeah only contracted for 2022 so the dragons may 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 re-sign him I, I know they re-signed recently um, Billy Burns um, to add a bit more depth in that that uh, that back row position so um, yeah whether Jack gives ever gets another one year contract a one year extension um, but I guess back to your point Kurt, we could spend a whole podcast episode on this and talking about guys that killed it in lower grades and um, yeah didn't quite yeah. make it in the NRL I remember early on when when the Dragons reserve grade side was was rebranded for a time as the Illawarra Cutters I, I went down to Wollongong with, with my old man to, to watch um, Illawarra take on Canterbury and, and I always thought that Chris Keating was a bang average halfback in first grade. And to be fair, he probably was. But he honestly had the ball on a string this afternoon at Wollongong. I reckon he had about five or six try assists and the dogs comfortably beat the Dragons. And it, yeah, it is funny looking at players that you see in first grade that you think, oh, they, they can't cut the mustard. But then when they go down to reserve grade, which is still a very high level of, of rugby league and a high level of professionalism needed to, to play in that system, you see them absolutely kill it. So I guess it shows you how hard it is to not only make first grade but be a be a a, um, a consistent fixture in in that kind of environment I, I think it also kind of rings bells to me when um, I think um, five or six years ago um, Phil Gould was 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 talking on on channel nine and saying that I think the average um, average length of a, of a first graders career um, in the NRL is about 14 or 16 games. So we see Cameron Smith and Darren Lockyer and Cooper Cronk and these guys that play three, four, something, well, in Cam Smith's case, 400 games. But it actually is incredibly hard just to play play one game and kind of be a, be a consistent reserve grader moving forward. Yeah, look, and Jack Kazeski uh, looks like the kind of guy that could show up in the Super League next year and mm. be, you know, man of steel or make their team of the year kind of thing. Be like Chris McQueen, who was on the scrap heap at West Tigers and then all of a sudden came good. Um, you know, even, even look at a Reese Robson when he was at the Cutters a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a killer there. And, and I thought, oh, wow, he's, he's a gun. He's going places. And then um, couldn't get a start and then found his place at the Cowboys. So... There's so many other things that we didn't know about, you know, off-field stuff, you know, mentally, other guys there. I, I remember going as a uh, rugby league nerd, going to watch the Magpies getting flogged every weekend <laughs> in the uh, in 99 as a 12-year-old and watching reserve grade from start to finish and a guy called Travis Baker, a mm, centre. Yeah. Um, and then he'd get, a, he'd get a go in first grade every couple of weeks because Tommy... Tommy couldn't, Tommy couldn't help himself and just changed the bloody side because he was a madman. But he'd get up to first grade and then he'd have a shocker and then he's back in reserve grade killing him again. So, yeah, it, it, yeah it's a – so many things goes into making a first grader a long-term first grader. Um, yeah, but as always, I come back to – I might be a bit biased when it comes to front rowers, but um, I think front rowers – and this is going a little bit off tangent, but the front rower needs a lot more time to develop than, than some other guys. So – um, reserve grade is very important, but, uh, you know, I didn't realize Kazeski was already 28. So mm. he, he, uh, if I was at the Dragons, I might be looking at him thinking, do we give him another year or do we, do we send him off somewhere else where he might make a bit more, bit more money? 
And to finish off our Dragons news and updates section, we have the Who Am I question for this week. And this week, this player is a St. George player. He's currently still alive. He's one of the oldest former St. George players that, that is still alive. He was born in Bingara in the New South Wales country town in 1930 and first played his first grade career with the St. George Dragons all the way back in 1951. He had two stints at the St. George Dragons. The first was three years from 1951 to 1953, where he proved that he was a prolific try scorer playing on the wing. He played 42 games for the Dragons and scored 29 tries. He then took up an option to uh, to go up, as, as a lot of these players did back in the old days, went to captain coach a side in, in a country region. He went up uh, to Rockhampton in, uh, in 1955. Of course, he'd made a grand final appearance for St. George in 1953, where they'd gone down against South. In 1954, he played one year in Tamora for moving to Rockhampton, Queensland in 1955. He then had arguably his greatest, uh, I guess, period of time when he rejoined the Dragons uh, and played in some very successful between 1955 and 1958, where he played 52 games for St. George and scored 52 tries, uh, finished his career at the end of 1958 and uh, finished with a total of 81 tries in 94 games. And this is in an era, obviously, when it wasn't professional. It's also in an era where I know people will probably be thinking of, of, of Ken Irvine, the incredible try-scoring freak for North Sydney that played in a in a similar era. But um, uh, I guess when, when you look at these records, a lot of the players weren't scoring tries like they are today. There's, there was no Alex Johnson type players really that were scoring 25, 30 tries a season. So this particular player had a prolific try scoring record. He did play some representative footy and uh, we'll also uh, talk you through some of the grand finals he played in, uh, but we'll might leave that a little bit later for uh, for the podcast to give you a few more clues. Uh, Kurt, I'm, I'm stretching the memory bank. Well, I'm not stretching the memory bank because obviously you went alive in the 1950s, but maybe stretching the knowledge of, of rugby league with the Who Am I for this week. Oh, when you said still alive, and funnily enough, I was speaking about um, Kevin Ryan the other day, but then mm. you said winger, and I was thinking Johnny King, but even then I think Johnny might be a little bit younger than that. Um, so I've got no idea. <laughs> Well, we've got uh, some more clues. If you don't have any idea, I'm sure there's some Dragons fans out there that uh, that already have the answer. But we are really enjoying getting to this Who Am I section. I think it's yeah, it's a great way to to tip our cap to some of the former players of the Steelers and the Dragons or the St. George of the Warra side. And it is, is great to kind of, I guess, go and and uh, revisit or, or look back on, on times at those respective clubs and, and some memories and, and those kinds of things. I'm sure there is probably some players that, yeah, um, uh, that, uh, yeah, that don't perhaps get the recognition uh, they deserve. And it's great for us to give you, uh, give those guys a chance to, to shine uh, in the light uh, as we'll continue to uh, do the, who am I um, over the course of the off season. We'll have a few more clues for you a little bit later on in the podcast, but time for us to take our first break here on episode 141 of the Red V podcast. On the other side of that, Kurt and I are going to continue our position review. It's time for the halfback and hookers this week as we focus on the phenomenal season of Ben Hunt and perhaps some of the mediocre play for the dummy half roll for the Dragons in season 2022. Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward, your hosts here on the Red V Podcast, dissecting everything about the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Like we've been doing the last month or so on the podcast, we're continuing our position review up to the halfback and hooker roles this week. We'll conclude it next week by taking a look at the props and uh, back row position for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. But this week, I guess we're focusing on the creativity of the seven and nines for the Dragons. And I guess that you can't talk about the halfback role without talking about the uh, the incredible 
incredible play of Ben Hunt in season 2022. Uh, when you look back on this season, Kurt, especially where you see where the Dragons finish and the fact that three weeks out from the end of the campaign, they'd won nine, they'd lost 12. It really is quite incredible the season that he's had. He was he was um, a good performer last year. He, he obviously exceeded expectations last year, but I don't think even the most ardent Ben Hunt supporters or the most ardent Dragons fans would have expected the season that Ben Hunt pushed forward for the Dragons in 2022. Yeah, well, the question for me to you, Jack, is if Dragons do not have Ben Hunt this year, what position on the table do they finish? I reckon they get the spoon, to be honest. Yeah. 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 I, I, even as bad as, as your, your Tigers were, I think there's there were so many games where Ben Hunt were, came up with a miraculous play on the last tackle, whether that was him to, to beat a few defenders and score or put a kick in to get a repeat set or set up a try or a miracle ball at the back. There, there was so many. And that's the thing with the, when you look back on the Dragons 2022 results, there were so many close games. The, that game against the Tigers where we're both kind of coming off a few wins down at Wollongong, the Dragons held on to a 12-6 win there. He was even instrumental in, in, in that final game in the season against the Broncos. So I think if you, and I think a lot of St. George Illawarra fans would agree that if you, you look back on the season as a whole, I think the Dragons probably would have been lucky to win three or four games if Ben Hunt wasn't wasn't available. And I, I guess you can always point back to 2021 where he, he missed uh, six or eight games throughout the season due to, I think he broke a bone in his leg and, and then he picked up an injury at the end of the season. It was no surprise that without him, the Dragons, uh, not that he was out for the, all this time, but the fact the Dragons lost eight in a row, I don't think he was there for the last three or four weeks of the season. So I think it really does show how, how valuable he is uh, to the Dragons' cause. Yeah, absolutely. But it also, to me, it's also a negative in the fact that yep. There is no plan B. There is no structure or, or planning around a, a whole team attack. Um, I think even that day, just from memory, I could be wrong. We, he broke it. What was it? His arm or his leg? He broke his. I think he did both. Oh uh, well, there was one game where he broke something and he played the rest of the game with it. Yeah, and, that was and played yeah, through it. Yeah, broken leg. I think against Manly. Um, but to me, and, and I hate to say this for Dragons fans, but it's almost like going to watch a junior game in like under tens or something. And it, like it's a it's a battling team. They're struggling, and, and the only way they can keep themselves in the game is, is to give it to the gun, mm. give it to Ben Hunt, and that's what the crowd's yelling: "Give it to Hunt, give it to Hunt." So yeah. there, there were signs of life at the back end of the season with um, Amon alongside him, because um, in my mind too, um, and I've said this on previous podcasts as well, is that even though Ben Hunt touches the more than touches the ball more than any other player in the game, and I've got a stat here somewhere. Top the league for line engagements. Ben Hunt, 199. Next best was Nico Hines at 170. So a lot of the game plan um, during the season was basically give Ben Hunt the ball, mm. you know, run some lines and see what happens. Whereas at the end of the year, it, it might be subtle, but the fact that there was another ball-playing threat in a moan, maybe Ben Hunt didn't have as many touches in those games, but it was more quality where he could actually create more things for the guys around him. So... Um, a freak of a season, absolute freak of a season. What, like, seriously, like, he's life membership bound at the the Dragons Club. He he's he's been that good for the club, and and look, the, at the end of the day, the question is, where would the Dragons be if they never signed Ben Hunt? It's an interesting one because you probably spend that money somewhere else and you get another player in, but um, he has been incredible for the for the Dragons, just dragging them along. I'm mm. kicking and screaming sometimes when they look really just disinterested, didn't want to win games, happy to go up by two points, you know, stupid things, 
penalties and sin bins and errors yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So um, incredible season for Ben Hunt. But again, it, it's also not a good thing because, you know, if you base everything on giving the ball just to the number seven so he can run over the top of someone to score a try, that's not good. So Yeah, and I think we we spoke about this maybe six weeks or, or so ago on the podcast where we where we pointed out the fact that, yeah, Ben Hunt did have a marvellous season, did do some great things for the Dragons. You look at the the tries and the try assists, but I think outside of of one other player, which I think was Jackson Hastings, and he played um, a little bit of, of 13 um, in in the middle of the park, or might not have been Jackson Hastings. There was, there was someone else. There was, a, there was a little outlier in front of him, but uh, outside of outside of that, Ben Hunt handled the ball more than than anyone anyone else. I think he was getting an extra four to five touches per game on average than someone like and Nico Hines. So obviously the, the numbers are going to be up a lot more with him handling the ball so much. And I think we probably saw that change somewhat um, in the in the back four or five weeks of the season with Junior Moan growing in confidence. But I, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, you, you have to kind of argue that yeah, there has only been the one finals appearance and no, you can't pin that directly on, on Ben Hunt, but he's still with the amount of money that he's earning perhaps hasn't got us any closer to that final spot than uh, even with such a miraculous individual season. Um I guess so. Sorry, I'll I'll just say to that though, like you're spending a million dollars. So, as a club, you're spending a million dollars on one of the best halves in the game, and you can't manage your roster to help him out to get you to the finals. That's more on the club than Ben Hunt. But, Um, but, but he's taking up such a huge chunk of the salary cap as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. And there's a couple other interesting stats that I found today as well. Mm. On the back of a, of, of, a, of an engine room that, that doesn't dominate, doesn't move forward, yep. he still found a way to be the league's leader in 40-20s with, with six. But the other one that I found um, even more intriguing was the fact that out of every player to play in the NRL this year, he missed more tackles than anyone else in the comp at 115. Now, that's not because he's a poor defender. That's because he gets more traffic. So how easy is it during the week when you're doing uh, match previews or, or plans or whatever to play against the Dragons? All you've got to do is say, let's run everyone at Ben Hunt because mm. they've got no other options in the team attacking-wise. That, I found that astounding that Ben Hunt, such a good defender, missed more tackles than anyone else in the competition. That's not his fault. That's because his, the, the, the teams don't have to plan around playing the Dragons. It's just let's do what we have to do. And then and gas Ben Hunt out till he's at the point where um, he can't do what he could do on a full tank. But even then, how incredible is it what he's done to be a chance to win the Dally M, to to be easily one of the best players performed this year, still have the most missed tackles. And I I would love to know how many tackles he actually did complete this year. Because I mean, all in all, to me, it you know. I, I understand your point, but you know, a million dollars is a million dollars, and, it, and I think it has been deserved. But it's what the Dragons' roster management has been, or the lack thereof, around him that is um, that is looks frustrating to me. Yeah, and no, I can I can certainly I can certainly agree with that, and I I don't think there's any Dragons fans out there that wouldn't disagree with that with that that sentiment, the the management of the roster, and the fact that they haven't been able to sign any dominant middle forwards for a long time, probably back to the the days of of Leeson Armour and Mickey Wayman and Neville Coslin coming to the club. That's that's certainly on management. That's that's on the the coaching staff. That's on recruitment, and that's that's a that's a really poor decision. But at the same time, I, I feel like there's there's a 
there's there's a type of um, pressure on a player that is earning that amount of money per season. And I think he's certainly justified the the price tag of the last couple of seasons. Um, but we've also got to remember that there's been there's been a kind of a few barren years in there, especially when he first kind of came to the club as well. So I'm I'm not kind of um, flat out accusing the Dragons' lack of success is on on Ben Hunt, but also I feel like it's when when um, just the same as when in, in American sports in the NBA the NFL if someone's drafted in the first round the reason you're drafting them in the first round is because you you think they're worthy of that um, that spot in the draft pick you think they're worthy of of kind of being a face of your side or face your franchise and yeah I, I, I just don't know I think there's so much conjecture about Ben Hunt's future I, I, I'm I'm kind of torn like he's obviously had these last couple of years have been absolutely wonderful but I'm just yeah not sure is he. Uh, with those pieces in place, would he, would he be able to take us to the semifinals? I, like a, that's a question I've kind of been pondering in my head the last probably couple of days before we started talking about this, Kurt. Can, can, can I just ask one more hypothetical mm, future? Mm. Is that, say, if you got a Thurston in his prime or a Cooper Cronk in his prime in that Dragons roster, do the Dragons go any higher up the table with a Thurston or Cronk? Uh, pro- probably not. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It is hard, though. I understand your point. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think this. It's just. It's just frustrating when. Yeah, uh, like it's. It's probably hard to put into words, but it's. But it's frustrating because I think we. I think Dragons fans initially thought that when we signed Ben Hunt, and let's let's remember that he took Brisbane to a to a grand final. Um, he's he's obviously played for Queensland and starred for Queensland, and that's probably effectively his grand final this year. The fact that he won that that game three state of origin uh, match for for the Queensland. Queenslanders. I think we kind of expected that finals footy was just going to come, especially when we had Gareth Widdop and a couple of other quality players there. But but I tend to agree with you as well. I think recruitment has been really poor. Um, and, and maybe if, if we did sign a couple of, like, for example, if the Dragons were to bring in someone like a Spencer Lenu um, and uh, a similar body forward in the middle, maybe the Dragons would play, would play finals footy. But I, yeah, I guess there's so many mitigating factors. It's something that you can't, um, I guess, come out... Uh, hand on heart or hand on the Bible saying that this is the reason the Dragons haven't played finals. But I, yeah, I guess I also kind of look at the look at the price tag and yeah, like if you're, you're paying someone that amount of money, yeah, I think that the, the least you would expect would be would be finals finals football. And I feel... Um, yeah, I see that argument. Yeah. Um, in terms of his future, Kurt, there's been so much talk about it. Uh, it's rugby league media. Re- it really is a mess because I, I feel like some of the uh, some of the articles that get posted, and it's not just Fox. It's there's a there's a variety of of different journals and, and different publications that get released. Sometimes it can really kind of not force, but it it kind of pushes the dra- not dragons fans, but pushes fans towards almost kind of. Um, uh, having having a bit of a go at their own their own players. It happened with Tyrell Sloan. Like some of the comments were pretty atrocious about Tyrell Sloan. We we posted about that on our socials, and people are entitled to their their opinion. And and I'm not I'm not going to um, besmirch them for that. But I also feel like there's. There's, there's a certain benefit of doubt I think you need to give to a player when there's all these media publications saying about it. Like there's there's reports about uh, is Ben Hunt selfish? Um, we've got a, a great question from Ben. I, I won't steal Ben's thunder. We'll, we'll mention that a little bit later on the podcast. But um, there's there's certainly lots of, of, of questions being asked of Ben Hunt of why does he want to play nine? We've given him all this money. Why why doesn't he want to pay, um, take a pay cut and take J- uh, J- uh, Jaden Sullivan under under his wing? There is so much talk about about Ben Hunt and his future with with the Dragons, Kurt. As an outsider, as 
a neutral fan that, that's certainly not attached to the Dragons like us passionate fans are, but someone, I guess, that can have a more uh, methodical uh, approach or, or viewpoint of it. What do you make of this whole uh, Ben Hunt contract situation? And if he, I don't think it would happen, but if he was to walk away for the Dragons and, and take up an option with, with, with someone else, would that be the worst thing for the Red V? It's not necessarily a bad thing because you're taking the decision out of out of Dragons and the Dragons fans' hands. At the end of the day, if a club wants to turn around like a Gold Coast, I think we spoke about this before, a Gold Coast or a Super League want to come along and pay him what he's getting now, you can't blame the bloke for, for, for taking that. I mean, $200,000 is a lot of bloody money. Mm. Um, but at the end, look, I, I look at this as a neutral and think, you know, this can be positive either way. And, and I've said, Ben Hunt can stay at the club. He can, you know, like a handover thing where he starts handing down the keys to the halfback position to, to whoever's coming through or whatever it might be and develop and help them. I mean, keep in mind, he is contracted for next year. So you've still got what it, it's um, the back end of September. Now you've still got a whole off season, pre-season, a whole another season to go where you can suck every bit of knowledge um, and tips you've got out of him for your junior players. If he wants to stay and take a little bit less and you give him a job in the coaching in the future, that's great as well. But, I mean, if, you know, if a Wigan Warriors or someone come come along and say, we'll give Ben Hunt one one for the next four years, that's four point four million dollars. I mean, yeah. What are you what, gonna do? What, what what if that doesn't happen though, Kurt? Not not the not the last example you said about potentially getting a higher deal, but what if what if Ben Hunt, and I'm not I'm not gonna go as far as saying not interested in, in nurturing the talent coming through, but what if Ben Hunt is adamant that he wants I don't know, 850, 900K for, for these next seasons? Because he's still, yeah, as you mentioned, still contracted for another year under the agreement that the Dragons initially paid him when he came from Brisbane. But what if he is kind of hell-bent on being the starting uh, being the starting halfback for the full tenure of that? This could be a guy that could be 35 or, or 36. Are, are you risking losing someone like a Jaden Sullivan or some of the other younger guys that come through the system and say, oh, great, Ben Hunt's the number seven. I'm a number seven. He's played for Queensland and Australia. Australia, I'm not going to have much of a chance of potentially playing first grade um, and kind of moving, move, moving, moving myself somewhere else because it's probably something that's definitely gone through the uh, the, the mind of of Jaden Sullivan, especially when Ben Hunt came out earlier in the season and said that uh, it can be good to sit on the bench and learn because he didn't play first grade until he was 25. Well, I guess newsflash: there's a lot of young guys who don't want to wait until they're they're 25 to play first grade. Yeah, look, I, I've only spoken to Ben Hunt a couple of times and very, you know, very short you know, kind of intervals or whatever, but he doesn't look like the kind of bloke that's going to stand there and, and hold the club to ransom. I mean, he, he's not that kind of guy, but, um, you know, if he wants to stay, if, if he says to the Dragons, I'll, I'll take a pay cut, but I want to be the halfback for the next four years. You can't say that. Uh, not at his age as well. He He's getting a little bit long in the tooth, even for a halfback, and we are seeing halfback play longer. Um, that If he wants to play halfback, that's fine, but, but look, let's, I think there's enough sane people within the club that understand um, Anthony Griffin. That's another moving piece in this puzzle as well mm. that probably won't be there long term as well. Just going off um, how he coaches the team and, and how he wants to coach the side and who he plays in that team. I think Ben Hunt's aware of that too. Um, but again, it comes down to the lifestyle. If he wants to take his kids back out of schooling in Southern Sydney or whatever it is, I mean, it, there's a, a lot of water to go under the bridge, but I, I doubt Ben Hunt is going to ask for a long-term contract at those at that that 
big, big money. I mean, it might even come down to, yes, he signed for next year, so 2023. Maybe he signs a, a cheaper deal with a one-plus-one one and maybe a player option or, or a club option, mm. um, which which will be beneficial for the club and Ben Hunt because who knows where Ben Hunt's going to be at 33 and who knows what these, these juniors I and mean, these kids are doing in two years. So, yeah. Um, you, you've got to take into um, all consideration the fact that he's contracted for next year. Um, use that uh, uh, as a as a bargaining chip from the club and say, look, you're still contracted for next year, you know, and, and ask him, so what do you want? What's your planning? Be and, and the more honest both sides can be, the better. And I think if they do that and if they don't play it through the media, which, like you said, um, you know, fans, they've got very, very short uh, attention st- um, spans. You know, I'll, I'll be at a pub and a bloke will come up and go, oh, I read a heading on a Facebook article. And I said, did you click on it? No, no, it's just, the, you know, da-da-da-da. So, chains mm. are fickle, um, but I think at the end of the day, Ben Hunt can will come to the table. The Dragons will come to the table. But, uh, but I hope Griffin isn't involved in the conversation. Yeah. Um, I just hope that it's the club and Ben Hunt and they can try to sort something out. If they can't, it's not the end of the world. We move on. The good thing, I think, from the Dragons' point of view is that they they haven't just kind of bowed down to, uh, according to the media, the, the first first offer. They haven't been um, thrown 900000 his way. They're, they're looking to negotiate and try and make it fair, I guess, for, for both parties. The Dragons aren't hamstrung moving down the track, but that uh, is one that I think is going to continue long into the offseason, maybe even uh, before the, the start of the 2023 campaign. Let's hope it doesn't uh, derail anything for the Dragons. I guess we probably need to kind of move on to the hooker position. We've spent so much time on Ben Hunt and the future of him that we've got a little bit sidetracked, Kurt, but uh, as, as great as the halfback play was for the Dragons, the uh, the hooker play was was nowhere near that for, for the Red V. We, we got a little bit of excitement when we saw a few gains for, from the bench for Jaden Sullivan and he showed the spark he um he he can he can have and the quality that he has as a potential um, first grader for, for years to come. But I guess it was the hooker role focused a lot on Andrew McCulloch. We've had our views on that on the podcast and fans have, have had their views as well. It seems to be someone that, as you mentioned, long in the tooth, if, if that applies for Ben Hunt, it certainly applies for, for Andrew McCulloch. And, and I guess when you look at the way the Dragons played um, throughout the year, the structure of their, their play, terribly slow through the middle third of the field, not just our forwards, but uh, our hooker play, the, the service at a dummy half, just just not at the same level of not even Penrith and, and Melbourne and Cronulla and the North Queensland Cowboys, probably uh, slower than, than some of the other sides, like the Warriors and the Gold Coast that were, were sitting below us on the competition table. Yeah, look, and I've touched on this before, Jack. I, I didn't pay much or too much attention to the Dragons prior to coming on the podcast. I was a little bit shocked going through game to game this year and, and how many starting games McCulloch so, uh, got. Mm. And this basically comes back to Griffin as well. So McCulloch got the first couple of games. Umbai came in for one. McCulloch went round four to round nine. Then he went round 15 all the way to around 23, then Sullivan got one, and then McCulloch came back for the game. We said, there's no way he's going to start. Um, so that ended up being, he, he started 18 games. But the, the thing that's interesting to me is that when it, when McCulloch wasn't available, Griffin went for another defensive player in Moses Umbai. So to me, a, a dummy half or a hooker in the, in the modern game, he controls the tempo and the speed of the ruck and attack. So... Mm. Um, obviously, the halfback or the five-eight might have an overriding call where, when they're feeling some momentum and the, and the ball needs to shift. But for a dummy half, he controls who the ball goes to. He he picks, you know, because 
attacking teams within our all now have so many. They've got dozens of different attacking sets that they will they will call in transition. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realise this, but to me, rugby league is is just as much like basketball than it is, you know, like a rugby union or or a gridiron, where it's a transition sport. So it's all about up the field, down the field, up the field, down the field, and how quickly you can get into your structures and attack with the ball. So other teams would look at McCulloch and say, we don't have to worry about the ruck. When we're defending the Dragons, we don't have to worry about the middle of the field because McCulloch offers no threat. Um, the ability to draw markers um, and the A and B defenders and then release the ball mm. at the same time, so actually engage the markers and the A and Bs and then release the ball with momentum. Um you know, and and then also the other thing too is is to know when to run yourself. You look yeah. at Harry Grant, Harry Grant, and Damian Cook, and Coruscant, and and um, these kind of guys. I, I mean, read Marnie a little bit. You know, you could say Marnie hasn't set the world on fire. I know Parramatta fans love him, but you know, I think he might be a little bit overrated at this stage, in my opinion. But you know, Marnie might be like McCulloch ten years ago. But that's the point. Mm. Ten years ago, right? Yeah. Um, Dragons just don't get any traction or offer anything in attack through the middle with with what I saw this year with McCulloch and Moses Umbai, and that that's the scary thing. And it, and again, it comes back to you link it back to when Amon started to come on and started performing. That means the defensive line wasn't always worried about Ben Hunt. They were worried about uh, about Amon. So mm. imagine the Dragons next year with an attacking threat through the middle. Then that's another guy that the defensive team have to look at, and and then and it's twofold in the fact that then Cody Ramsey or or even your mate at the back flown, mm. um, then that releases them and they got more room and they got more space and they got more time. Um, I know you're about to ask in a minute about what my ratings are for for halfback and, and hooker this <laughs> year, um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think many fans will be shocked at uh, what scores I'm going to give them. Has the signing of Jacob Little, in your opinion, made the uh, made that position any stronger? Uh, it, it, only if he's fit and he can and he can stay injury free. Like I think I've said this, there was a, there was a real period there at West Tigers. It might have only been a couple of months where he was. Yes, he's only a small bloke, but he only needs to play small minutes. So West Tigers had a necessity; he had to play big minutes and start the game. And he and he was he was blowing on the field within fifteen minutes because you know he'd be. 80 kilos ringing wet and, and maybe five nine and a half five ten. So, um, little will be a, a bit player next year. I, I I would love to see Sullivan and Little um, kind of rotating through that that middle, but but sparingly for Little. Um, to answer your question, I would think that if the Dragons stay fit next year and win some games, Little might end up playing seven or eight games, and you might find he stays at the club for two or three years, and and you might actually you know appreciate his play a little bit but he's not a starter he's definitely an impact player when he's fit and and not injured that's that's the most important thing to him uh to to finish our position review halfback and hooker what do you give those positions out of 10 for for 2022 kurt all right so i'm going to give um ben hunt himself a 10 so this is out of 10 right so i'm going to give ben hunt a 10 but for the way his coaching staff planned the attack around him I'm going to give them a seven, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So ten for Ben Hunt, but seven for the way they they looked after him in the attack. And Hooker, I'm going to give them uh, zero point five out of ten. Yep, 
Yeah, but I, I, I'm not going to argue uh, with that. <laughs> I actually had one written down. I had one written down, and now that I'm angry, it's zero point five. Uh, I th- yeah, I think the play was incredibly poor, and I think yeah, the how the coaching staff ha- hasn't really made any adjustments to that, and the fact that Andy McCulloch is probably going to start at number nine next year, I think, is most concerning. But we'll we'll see what happens. I'm sure we're going to be full of energy at the start of next year and ready to uh, ready to support the boys. But uh, yeah, is that enough to watch every Dragons game next year? Yep, and you're gonna have to come. Oh, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to come to a game and sit on the hill with me at Cogra as well, Kurt. No, all right, I'm happy to do that, mate. <laughs> so that wraps up our position review. We'll finish it off by doing the prop and lock forward positions or back row positions next week here on the Red V Podcast. Time for a sec, another short break, and then we're going to take a look at the NRLW side that went down on the weekend against the Newcastle Knights, ending their season and ending 22 within one game of the grand final. Episode 141 of the Red V Podcast. Uh, the NRLW season unfortunately finished on a sour note for the Dragons as they went down to the Newcastle Knights on the weekend. It was the grand final qualifier, but unfortunately, uh, Jamie Soward and his girls couldn't get the job done. But regardless, a very, very good season for them. Uh, they should uh, be uh, very encouraged at making it within a game of the grand final and uh, having uh, made the grand final uh, in the previous campaign, which ironically enough was actually in April uh, earlier this year. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's done a, done a, a sterling job job to, uh, to get them ready and certainly some some distractions with with injuries and suspensions and different things but unfortunately just just not strong enough uh, to beat uh, to beat the Newcastle Knights but uh, congratulations on a good season to those women that have uh, worn the red fever pride and churned out some some handy victories uh, throughout the 2022 campaign before we jump into our fans corner questions we want to give you a few more clues for the who am I uh, that we uh, men- mentioned at the top of the broadcast we spoke about this player that was uh, born in 1930 in Bingara in New South Wales, still currently alive. They are a winger that played 94 games for the Dragons, uh, scoring 81 tries, uh, spanning in two periods, 1951 to 1953, and also 1955 to 1958. Elsewhere, they represented a New South Wales side against the American All-Stars all the way back in 1953. That would have been interesting to uh, to be attending that much. Well, he also uh, played in the 1952-53 Kangaroos Tour. He played Played 20 matches on that tour and scored a phenomenal 24 tries. Finished his Australian career in 1952, playing four tests, scoring four tries. He played for the New South Wales City side in 1952. Played one game for New South Wales in 1953 and scored four tries. Didn't get another game. How harsh is that? And when he was playing up with Rockhampton in 1955, he represented Queensland in three games. Of course, the old rules about where you played is, is, is who you represented. That's why so many Queenslanders played for New South Wales up until... Uh, the very first date of origin in 1980. He played in the 1956 and 1957 grand final victories. He scored 19 tries in 1956 and phenomenally scored 26 tries uh, in just 19 games in 1957. That stood as a St. George and St. George Illawarra record until 2001 when Nathan Blacklock uh, broke that by scoring 27 tries uh, for the Red Veep. But he finished his career at the end of 1958 as he kind of fell out of favour with, with so many good young talented players coming through that St. George system uh, under Frank Facer. Uh, Kurt, you, you got any more ideas of, of who you think this might be? Oh, uh, Sir Edmund Barton. 
It is a tough one, but when no, I. No, someone when, will get it, I'm sure. Someone will get it, I think. Um, yes, yeah, so that we'll, we'll announce who our who our player is um, at the end um, of the podcast, but uh, I've given you probably all of the uh, the clues that I can I can give at the moment without giving them their name. Uh, but I, oh, no, I've got one more clue for you, and I think oh. um, avid listeners of the Red V podcast will get this. Now, this particular player was a guest, um, was interviewed by me on the Red V podcast in 2020. So when when the season went off the rails and COVID hit and all of that drama, we did a host of interviews. We we spoke with like Rod Wishard and, and Nathan Blacklock and um, a bunch of, of different players, Noel Goldthorpe. This particular player we did interview uh, on the podcast as well. So if you're... Yeah, uh, Jack. Yeah, mate. Can I... Can, okay, so I'm just going to have a, a lash here. <laughs> Are the initials NP? No, they're not. All right. That's a good not, guess, though. I know who you're trying to guess, enough? and that, that is a very good guess. So Thank I'm, I'm going to give you some brandy points for that. But you'll, you'll, you, you'll find out in uh, in due time, Kurt, for probably relatively shortly. Because we are up to our fans' corner question time on the podcast. We've got an audio question to kick things off. This is an audio question from Tim Bouchard. wanted to ask myself and Curtis this on the Red V podcast. Hey guys, hope you're both doing well this off-season. Um, as you both know, Zach Lomax is a very, very talented player. And up until this season, I think his biggest obstacle was, was just staying on the field uh, and staying healthy, um, showing he has all the talent in the world. But really, I don't think he played more than 16 games in any season. Um, my question for you guys is, um, he obviously had a, a bit of an up-and-down season this year. He looked like he was uh, a bit distracted, maybe off the field, and that, that carried on to his performances on the field. But he seemed to finish the season pretty strongly and had the honour of uh, being selected in the Prime Minister's eleven and, and wearing that Australian Test jersey. Do you guys think that that could be a launching point for his career uh, moving forward and going into next season? Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. So Tim asking us about um, Zach Lomax, and we got a similar question from Jesse Godfrey, who um, uh, who asked uh, at the back end of his question about Ben Hunt if, if Zach Lomax um, has done enough to, to book his seat on the on the plane to England. That might not be so because Australia obviously have an embarrassment of riches in, in the outside backs. But could it be a bit of a launching pad for for, for his twenty twenty three campaign with the fact that he's had um, a full season under under his belt, found some form at the back end of the season, and and had a pretty good game against the the PNG side there on Sunday night. No, play well against PNG, but uh, look, to be fair, he's he's nowhere near Kangaroo's selection just for the simple fact that, it's, like you said, there's so many guys in front of him, um, particularly in, in, in rep teams um, for New South Wales and Australia. You've got so many guys that, that um, just perform uh, in three and four in those positions, but that's not necessarily a bad thing for Zach Lomax. I, mm. You know, for, personally for Zach Lomax, I, I'd just be happy to, to, to wear that you know the prime minister's jersey, um, and have a game at the end of the year. Go back, have an off season, um, and, and I understand that he's got a, a new partner as well. And there's some you know Daily Telegraph stories and all that crap. But um, you know if he's happy, you know let's see him have a good off season and come back next year a bit bigger, a bit smarter between the ears. And like I've been saying since I, I've started this podcast, next year is his. It's his season. I mean, really. Um, if he wants to go to that next level and and be the poster boy, you know, be one of the poster boys of the competition. Next year's the one that he will not be at the World Cup for Australia. 
Um, Jesse, after, I guess, asking about Zach Lomax, the first part of his question was, um, what, what were our thoughts? Where, where, where do we think Ben Hunt um, will, will fit into that kangaroo squad? Will it be at nine at starting hooker or will he be the utility or, or bench replacement hooker in, in 14? Hey. He's like okay. So when when we were a bit younger, Jack, you'd remember Craig Wing was like the yep. ultimate utility player, right? Um, and sometimes that you know, and it hurts their feelings because they want to be one player, but then they have to, you know, play other positions. But Craig Wing ended up playing twenty games for New South Wales and twenty games for Australia. Ben Hunt is easily the best utility player we've had for a long time, by far. I would think better than Craig Wing. And a question to you, Jack, is in, in my opinion, I think Ben Hunt's a better dummy half than he is than than a halfback. So I think there might be another question coming up. Yeah. Maybe about that. But he is a, a freak of a player. And the, the thing about Ben Hunt is is that he works better with less space. Mm. So when he's a dummy half, he's being a halfback, but he's doing it, you know, in the ruck. Um, and he just seems to do things. And I think Ben Elias was very similar where he was a halfback coming through. Um, and then got moved to dummy half, and then and then Ben Elias kind of changed the game. I hate giving Benny a rap because he's so down main centric and hates to make he's a, he's a clown as well, yeah. All that stuff, but uh, you know, he was incredible coming at dummy half, and and the things he could do with his, his dummy inside balls, and then go out or kick or whatever you wanted to do. Um, I, I truly think Ben Hunt. Um, you know, you, like I've said before, uh, in rep teams, you pick your best thirteen. Mm. Then you pick your next best four, and from your thirteen, you work out where they play in the team. Uh, but I think in this, in, when Ben Hunt's being mentioned straight by Mel Meninga, I mean, if he's only one to seventeen, he'll be going on the list. And one of the first guys named is Ben Hunt at fourteen. Mm. So I think Ben Hunt is, is is was one of the first locks in that Australian team um, when Mel Meninga started considering his side one hundred percent. Uh, ben on Twitter has asked, "Is it's been reported that Ben Hunt won't play hooker for the Dragons, yet he's happy to play hooker for both Queensland and Australia. Is this selfish? Uh, I'm, I'm going to let you handle this, but what I'll say is, no, it's not selfish because when you make a rep team, you're just happy to be there, right? So... Mm. Um, it's a bit different at the Dragons, but I'll, I'll let you have your say on that my, one. My argument would be, and I think this is probably what Ben's alluding to, is the fact that um, you've got a, a boom youngster at coming through it at number seven. I think if Ben was perhaps thinking of team first, then he'd be happy to, to move there. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard one. I, I, selfish, calling someone selfish is a really ugly and I think a, quite a harsh term. But I would, yeah, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't been more receptive to, to moving there. And I, I guess under Anthony Griffin, I don't think that's ever ever going to be the case because I think Anthony Griffin sees him as the, the long-term seven or at least until he's there. I know under Paul McGregor in the 2020 season, um, they, they, they moved him in, into the number nine role. They, they trolled Adam Clune in the halfback role. I think number nine is the position for him for the Dragons, but uh, you're not going to be able to force the club. He's the club captain. You're not going to be able to force the club captain to play a position he doesn't want to play. But I, w- I would hope that he would do that for the Dragons because I think it makes us a more complete outfit. If he's at nine, Bud Sullivan's at seven. And like many people have have said on, on social media um, when the season was going, that if you, you have a game um, like Bud had against Brisbane where he just didn't play very well and his kicking game was off, then you can shift, um, uh, you can all, uh, swap them positions or you can bring an Andy McCulloch back on in nine as much as I don't love that. And Ben Hunt goes back into seven. I think it I think it could work. Um, I'm, I'm not going not gonna to call him selfish, but um, I, I'm surprised that he, he's not uh, not willing to at least kind of entertain that idea for the Dragons. 
Um, yeah, it's it's a bit early for him to just say, all right, I'm going to give up halfback. And I, I think Anthony Griffin, for as uh, many detractors as Anthony Griffin has, Ben Hart rumoured is just about on the cusp of winning the Dally M as a halfback in the NRL. Mm. So to, to say that Ben Hunt in September 2022 um, should give up halfback for some kid, you know, that, that's kind of almost giving up next year too, isn't it? Because I, I would start Ben Hunt and halfback next year, but there, there must be a, a some at least a couple of plans in place where at some point in the future, and again, it comes back to contracts and stuff like that and whether he stays long-term, um, but still, right now, Ben Hunt is your best halfback. But the, the crazy thing is, too, Ben Hunt is also your your best hooker. So, mm. and I don't, I don't think there is. A, I don't think there is a succession plan. I, I just don't think the, 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 this club cannot be trusted to to have a, um, a the, the continuity of having succession. I don't think they do. I think they. Um, yeah, I, actually, I don't know what they think. I don't think any fans really know what they think, but I, I certainly don't think that there's a succession plan uh, in, in place. And I think it's concerning when you when you hear because ultimately, what what could happen, and there's a decent chance of this happening, is that Ben Hunt signs on for a few more years, plays until he's what 30, 34, 35, maybe even plays until he's he's thirty six. Then Bud Sullivan, who is the the apparent heir, the the, the gun number seven, that's won an SG ball comp, and the the Dragons have massive raps on coming through the pathways. He's not going to hang around for that long. So you got one or two options. Either, either going to play seven and Ben Hunt's going to retire or move to another club or go to nine, or Ben Hunt's going to stay at seven. And this is probably the more logical thing that's going to happen. Ben Hunt will play at seven. He'll play the next three or four years. Dragons might, they might make a finals appearance under under Ben Hunt. He'll probably still have some of those memorable games that we've seen so far this season. But there's a pretty decent chance that that uh, that, that Sullivan leaves to go somewhere else because he doesn't want to have to wait until he's 24 or 25 to play first grade. Um, and then all of, a dra- all of a sudden the Dragons are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place when Ben Hunt does retire. If there isn't a ready-made replacement for him or if there's not someone on the open market they can they can kind of throw a bit of cash at. So I think I think fans are kind of entitled to, to feel a little bit worried that, yeah, I know Ben Hunt's had a marvellous season. He's done all these incredible things, but is is Ben Hunt playing at halfback for another two or three more years uh, better for the Dragons than him potentially um, seeding the last few years um, at halfback for the club and, and playing in a number nine role to help the help the club for the, the next four or five years after after Ben Hunt leaves and, and retires as a Dragon? Well, I think that's the most important thing is that, is that the, the contract dealings, like I said before, mm. he won't get a three, four-year deal I'm sure he won't want that anyway because I think even from his perspective, he might be comfortable right now at the Dragons in in the fact that he might want to take um, from 2024 uh, a one plus one. So if he takes 24 and then in 25, the club might have an option in their favour, then they can release him at no cost to their own and then he can look at offers from the Super League or, or wherever and finish his career over there. So... Um, I think if Dragons fans stop thinking long-term 35-year-old Ben Hunt, Ben Hunt will not be playing the Dragons when he's 35. Mm. Um, he'll be there next year. He'll be there the year after. Where he's playing the year after is, is the, the good question because you need to get these other guys in the team and playing in the positions where they're going to perform best for the club. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, and I'm sure it's going to continue to drag on even into uh, into next year with uh, yeah with Ben Hunt um, still going through those contract negotiations with the club. Our last question comes from Cooper Island, and Cooper has asked, "Do you think Hook being under pressure makes it hard to sign players we're chasing?" In my opinion, the news about Sloan and the vibe in the media around the club makes players harder to attract. 
It's a very interesting one because sometimes players are attracted to clubs by the coach and mm. the coach will drive those interviews. He'll be the one at the meetings and all those kind of things. So, yeah, it's a great question as, as in, you know, you're trying to get a, a guide to the club and then does the club say, um, you know, Hook, we want you there, we want you having coffee with this player. But then the player's agent turns around and goes, well, we don't even know if you're going to be there. So that's mm. that's that's the, the and again I think that plays against Anthony Griffin as well is that I think the club needs to, to do the recruitment um, because I think Anthony Griffin he's got one year remaining in his contract he knows he's under pressure and mm. he's he's smart enough and and a, a veteran of the game to understand that you know if he's not involved in contract negotiations moving forward the only way he can change that is by results on the field so. Start winning, and then you can be involved in these things and, and attract the players and be part of those recruitment um, meetings and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, I don't blame the club if they don't want to keep Griffin um, uh, or, or want Griffin at these meetings because how can you offer a player a three- or four-year deal that yeah. might be an attacking player? He might be a flag reserve grader coming through. He might be you know the next best thing, but he might be worried about Anthony Griffin. I, I yeah. don't want to play against – I don't want to play under Griffin or – or what kind of game plan are you going to have if I'm there and Griffin is the coach? Who will be the coach if, if you sack Griffin after six weeks? So they are kind of stuck in, in that sense. But again, the only way they can get out of that is leadership from front office. Yep. Tell Griffin where he stands and say, if you want to be part of this, you need to start winning games and maybe cho- change your coaching style. Otherwise, we're going to look after recruitment until you either go or we re-sign you. And I think that was one of the things that that, that Ryan Webb and, and the Dragons kind of were very public about when they re-signed him at the beginning of this year with that, before a ball had been kicked was that they wanted that um, longevity, I guess you could say, for, for them to be able to sign players. But then they actually haven't really signed any players based on that. And I think that now that they've kind of not that they've said to Griffin that he's got 10 weeks but that's certainly the the, the thoughts in the media that if he if the first 8 or 10 games aren't very aren't very strong or the the results aren't positive then he could be on the way out and regardless could still be on the way out as well if the dragons don't make the finals at the end of the year um yeah it just just seems we we're just kind of going in circles it's just an ongoing vicious cycle with the dragons and um yeah i i, I can't see us really attracting too much quality to the club um one, I guess, because the, there is so much conjecture around Griffin's fu- future, but also the fact there's probably not a whole lot of quality players out there, at least not in the positions uh, that the Dragons need. Um, but uh, yeah, an interesting one with, with Andy Griffin's future. I'm sure it's going to be spoken about a fair bit over the off-season and certainly earlier on in the season. If the Dragons were to drop their first couple of games, I reckon the uh, the, uh, the the knock on the door is going to be like a, a pounding um, uh, with, his, uh, yeah, with his tenure certainly coming under pressure uh, for the Dragons in 2023. That wraps up all of our fans corner questions for this week folks thanks so much for sending them in and as always you can send us them any time of the week redvpodcast at gmail.com really enjoy getting to tackle your fans corner questions each week before we finish off the podcast it's time to announce the who am I for this week on the podcast we spoke uh, at length uh, earlier on the podcast about this particular player born in 1930 in Bingara 94 games for the Dragons scoring 81 tries he played in the 1956 and 1957 grand final victories uh, for the Dragons 
He's still alive. He actually celebrated his 90th birthday on the 9th of May 2020. And our Who Am I for this week is Tommy Ryan. So Tommy Ryan was an earlier guest on the podcast. It was great to chat with a, a player from that era. Um, he was a, yeah, a lovely, lovely man and, and still, still going strong and uh, a proud St. George player that scored 81 tries in 94 games, of course, um, was the try scoring uh, lead up. In 1957, where he scored 26 tries, and as we mentioned a little bit earlier, actually, uh, that record wasn't broken until 2001, when Nathan Blacklock scored uh, 27 tries. Just looking through his stats, though, Kurt, he had a phenomenal record. He, his last game in the 1956 season um, was St. George against Balmain in the, the major preliminary semi to qualify for the grand final. He scored two tries there, and then um, missed the first few games of the of the season um, due to some uh, some work commitments back in the day, where unfortunately he had to put work in front of rugby league, but he scored four tries um, in a, a, a 53-14 win against Parramatta. Then the following week scored another four tries when they beat Easton, so it was 29-8 to eight, and capped it off with four tries for the third consecutive week when they beat Canterbury 45-8, to eight. although he wasn't done because then in round 10, um, he, he missed three weeks but came back in round 10 against Balmain, scored a hat-trick there in a 27-21 win and then scored a double against West in round 11 um, where they won by 23 points to 15. So scored a phenomenal 19 tries in a a six-game period, which you just would not see these days, even with all the fantastic rules there is for the attacking players. Uh, really, it was a, a titan of industry, and we celebrate Tommy Ryan on the Who Am I this week on the Red V Podcast, mate. No, well played, well played, and obviously a, a star, but um, sounded like could have done more in the game, couldn't he? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No. So he he left the Dragons at the age of, of twenty eight and and played obviously went and, and played in the country and had some um, captain coach gigs there. But uh, yeah, the ninety four games was actually a lot for, for players back in that era because the the big money was with those those regional sides, those country sides, whether it was up in Newcastle or down the south coast or, or out into outback New South Wales or Queensland. That's where the money was. Unfortunately, just wasn't the money in the game. Obviously, that there is these days. But a wonderful career, Tommy Ryan. Um, it was great to have. Him on the podcast and we celebrate him uh, this week in the Who Am I on the Red V podcast. This also brings us to the end of episode 141 of the Red V podcast. Kurt, thank you so much for, for guiding us through um, everything about the Dragons made and, and helping us uh, dissect and, and look at, at Ben Hunt and the halfback at hooker possessions, positions and I look forward to kind of um, wrapping it all up next week with a, a look at the, uh, I guess, the Ford pack that probably uh, didn't uh, didn't dominate too many sides for the Dragons in, in 2022. Thanks for jumping on the podcast again mate. That's right, mate. I'll speak to you next week. Curtis Wilder with there. Jack Clifton is mine and we're going to jump off the podcast episode 141 in the books. We'll be back for a brand new episode next Tuesday where we'll continue to talk about everything at the St. George Illora Dragons. But until then, stay safe. God bless. Up those mighty dragons. If you want legendary service, if you, you want sweeter, sweeter discounts, discounts travel and See what it's all about Switch to insurance Get a quote and save by bundling auto and home with Insurance Sports Social Podcast Network 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.